Thank you so much for listening to the Jesus Family Podcast, where we want to help you follow Jesus and find family. We are in a teaching series called You Are What You Think, how the enemy attacks you, how to fight back, and how to know that you're winning. These episodes are recorded live every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Central on Facebook and YouTube, and then I will take that, edit it down, and release it the following Monday for the Jesus Family Podcast. So if you want to watch any of these episodes live, please join me this Wednesday night at 8 p.m. on Facebook or YouTube. We're in the middle of a series called You Are What You Think, How the Devil Attacks You, How to Fight Back, and How to Know uh, That You're Winning. So whether you are watching this we're listening to it on the Jesus Family Podcast. Thanks so much for, for joining me. And I want to start um, by talking about something we should all have at least some familiarity with, and that's social media. Social media is something that is new to us. I mean, our kids are native, but uh, if you were an adult, then you remember a time before social media. And there are definitely some goods and some bads. I don't want to be the one that just hates on it the entire time because there are some legitimate goods, but I also don't want to say that it's the best thing ever because there's some legitimate bads. Um, so for instance, one of the things that uh, that we have Facebook, I mean, this is how I'm streaming this right now, and Facebook is great, um, and that's that's the primary social network that I'm on. I'm just used to it. Um, I've added a lot of friends as I was in ministry, and I keep up with them, and I keep up with their kids, and all that sort of stuff, and grandkids, uh, and so it's neat to be able to do that, and I meet new people through that, um, but there's some downsides of Facebook. I mean, besides the fact they can take up a lot of time um, if you mess up your algorithm and you start listening to weird videos and you'll get more weird videos and, and I know especially in, you know, 2016, 2020, um, depending on which way you looked at it, it was either a source of great information or a source of great disinformation. Um, but there are a lot of opinions on Facebook and not all of them are true. Uh, so that's why the joke, you know, I always say when I hear something random or something crazy or a conspiracy theory, my joke always is, well, I heard it on Facebook, so it must be true. Wait for applause. So uh, that's you know that's something we know about Facebook, that sometimes there can be a lot of misinformation out there and a lot of misinformation uh, on Facebook. There can be some bad actors out there trying to spread some disinformation. Um, another one that many of us are familiar with is Instagram, connected to Facebook through Meta. Um, and Instagram is, if you don't want all the words, you just want all the pretty pictures. And so Instagram is definitely more image-based. I'm not as into that um, as much. But again, it's a great way that people, if they want to skip the craziness of Facebook, they just get on Instagram. But what's the downside? Well, a lot of times the downside is very much like Facebook, not just misinformation, but I mean, if you scroll through everyone's curated, perfectly, you know, uh, photoshopped or, or filtered Instagram feed, then you're always going to come away feeling worse about yourself. And sometimes it, you just, you get so wrapped up in image and uh, stuff and materialism and, and Instagram can just absolutely feed that. And then probably my newest favorite um, is X, formerly known as Twitter. So it's a great place to get information. Uh, it's a great place to get uh, news. So if you're you know, wanting to get updates about like the hurricane that just hit uh, Florida and now is in Georgia at the time of this recording, well, then X or Twitter is the place to get it. And so there's definitely some good parts about Twitter, but um, Twitter is also a place that a lot of people just love to fight and they love to at each other and they love to just get into it. And so it can be very, very toxic in a, in a, um, just in a confrontational way. So there's, there's some goods and bads 
of each of these, uh, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And then I'm not even going to get into things like YouTube and TikTok and Snapchat. And, you know, at a certain point, there's just way too many social media networks. But I know many of us are familiar with these three. And so hold on to that because I want to come back to that and how actually these three uh, social media networks in particular represent a little bit of the struggle that we're going to be talking about tonight. So uh, the goals at the top. What I want to try to do in this episode um, is really two things, and so it's actually one thing. I'm just going to phrase it in two different ways, and it goes to um, the question I had at the opening, uh, which is, if you knew something was wrong, why do you do it anyways? And so I want to try to answer the question tonight, and here's how we can uh, say it one way. I want, I want you to help, I want to help you understand why it's so easy to do the wrong thing even when we know it's wrong. So why do we end up doing the wrong thing even when we know it's the wrong thing and we know we're going to feel bad about it. We know we're going to regret it. We know there's going to be consequences, but we still end up doing the wrong thing. Or to rephrase the same thing a different way, another way to, uh, to ask that or answer that is same goal. Understand, I want to help you understand why it's so hard to do the right thing even when we know it's right. So I think this is something that all of us struggle with. I know I struggle with. Um, you know, why do I do the bad thing even though I know it's bad? Why do I struggle to do the right thing even though I know that it's right? That's what I hope that we uh, get some answers by the end of this episode. And uh, let me quickly recap the episodes. We are in episode five. And so uh, real quickly, episodes one through four basically covered. Episode one was... This world is really, 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 really messed up. Messed up enough that we should we should get mad and actually want to do something about it. Episode two is that Satan is behind it all. He is the person behind the problems. Episode three is that Satan attacks us. His primary method of attack is through lies. Last week, we talked about why lies are so deadly. And so tonight, episode five, we're going to try to answer the question, why do we fall for lies that we suspect are lies? So if Satan is the father of lies, if he attacks us through lies, and if lies are bad, why do we keep falling for them? So before we get to the answer, and the answer is going to be part two of the series, episodes eight through 14, we really have to sit with, feel the weight of, and just appreciate the magnitude of the problem. And so that's still kind of where we're going to be for the next couple of episodes, is looking at... Uh, lies, the primary method of attack by the enemy, and why it's so um, hard for us to, to fight them and recognize lies and then counteract them. So the opening question I had, let me just put this up real quick. I think I got it. Yes. If we know something is wrong, why do we end up doing it anyways? If we know something is wrong, why do we end up doing it anyways? So the title of tonight's episode, and really my theory of why it's so hard for us to do the right thing when we know it's right, why we do something that's wrong even though we know that it's wrong, is because we are uh, under attack by the enemy, and it's not just lies. It is lies plus two other factors that become an overwhelming force that is very easily for uh, that becomes very easy for us to be overwhelmed by it. And the military term would be a blitzkrieg. So let me give you, it's, that's the title of tonight's episode is Blitzkrieg. Let me give you the technical definition. 
Blitzkrieg is an intense military campaign intended to bring about a swift victory, a short period characterized by an intense effort to do something or a large quantity of something arriving. It's just an overwhelming force. It was um, created, it was coined, it's a German word, for what the Nazis did in World War II. So what the Nazis would do is they wouldn't just attack Poland or France, they would, over, they would try to attack them with an absolutely overwhelming, let me see here, put that back up, overwhelming force. So it wasn't just land forces, it was land forces and armored forces, and not just land and armored forces, it was land and armored and air forces and naval forces, if they can put naval forces together. It's an overwhelming attack method. We actually uh, utilized the same strategy in the early 1990s in the Iraq war. It was called shock and awe. Like we're just going to bombard and blitz and we're going to just overwhelm the enemy so they don't know what to do. That is why I think it's so hard for us to do the right thing, even though we know it's right. And why it's so easy for us to fall for the lies of Satan, even if we suspect they are lies, is because we are under attack a form of spiritual blitzkrieg. That's what Paul meant when he said, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So we're not just fighting one forces, we're, we're fighting the authorities, we're fighting the powers, we're fighting the spiritual forces of evil, we're fighting the prince of the kingdom of the, the ruler of the air. We're, we're fighting everyone all at once, and it can be absolutely overwhelming. So with that, let's dive into Blitzkrieg and help you understand just exactly how you are being attacked from all sides. So we always want to try to start with what should you know? What should you know? Okay, so here's, um, and, and let me set it up this way. I've used this phrase before, what should you know? Why should you care? And how should you live? If you remember from the very first episode, um, I tied it to the head the hands, and the heart. When Jesus said, hey, the greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. It's this idea of a holistic um, approach to life, a holistic approach to God that you can teach a child everything that that child needs to know about Jesus and the Bible. But if that child doesn't love Jesus or the Bible, if you capture their head but not their hearts. And while they're a child, if you force them to go to church, so you force them and you force their hands to do what they need to do, but if you never capture their hearts, well then guess what they're gonna do when they go to college? They're gonna go wild and crazy. They're gonna walk away from it all. You have to be moved and be committed with your head, your heart, and your hands. And so when we're talking about Blitzkrieg, my whole theory is that I think the enemy attacks us. His version of attacking us in a blitzkrieg manner is by attacking our heads, our hearts, and our hands. Now, let me dive into that, and then I'm going to show you where I see that in Scripture and see if it convinces you the way it convinces me. So, here's what you should know. The devil deceives, the flesh fights, and the world woos. It woos your heart. It tempts, it draws your heart away. I made everything alliterate so it's hopefully easier for you to understand. The devil deceives you. The flesh fights you. The world woos you. That's the land and the air and the sea all attacking you at once. That is the overwhelming blitzkrieg of the enemy. It's the world, the flesh, and the devil. 
Now, that might sound familiar because that has been a common theme of what I've been learning in my spiritual journey over the last couple of years, that the, the, what is not original with me, but what I call the unholy trinity of the world, the flesh, and the devil, those are the forces that we fight. And if we don't learn how to fight back, then we're never going to be successful in our Christian life. And I grew up in church. I was there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I went to a Christian university. I've got two postgraduate seminary degrees. I was a pastor. I never heard of this, the world, the flesh, and the devil, in the way that I've understood it over the last couple of years. Like, it would have helped me, and so that's why I want to teach it. You know, I'm not teaching this because I'm bored. I'm not teaching this to try to gain a, a following or anything like that. I just want to try to get this information out there. I feel like it's I've been given the responsibility to try to teach my understanding of what I'm learning from Scripture and see if it convinces you the same way that it's convinced me. So if we're looking at spiritual warfare, we have to look at how we can combat the devil. And so this, this whole uh, series, You All What You Think, is about how we fight the deception of the devil. But that's only the first part, because the devil deceives, and he also uses two other forms of attack, the flesh and the world. That is his one, two, three punch. That is his blitzkrieg. And that's why it's so hard for us to do the right thing when we know that it's right. And that is why it's way too easy for us to do the wrong thing, even though we know that it's wrong. Because we're not just fighting the devil. We're fighting the devil and the flesh and the world at the same time. So where do I see this? Well, I see it you know, all throughout the New Testament. But a couple places where I see it all come together is in the life of Jesus. So the first place that really just kind of rang some bells for me is, it's if you're watching this on Facebook right now, the text is a little bit small, but in Luke chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 4, Jesus goes to do battle with the devil in the wilderness. It's known as the temptation in the wilderness. And there's three temptations. The temptation to turn stones to bread, the temptation to throw himself off the temple, and the temptation to gain the whole world if he bows down to the devil. So in Matthew 4, number 2 and 3 are reversed in order, but I don't think it really makes a difference. He was tempted in three specific ways. I don't think it was three random temptations. I think it was the temptation of, first off, the world and the flesh and the devil. So the temptation to turn stones to bread... That was the temptation of the appetites. I believe that's the temptation of the flesh. The temptation to, um, you know, to throw himself off the temple, that was based off of a deception. If you look at at Luke chapter 4, verses 9 through 11, Satan gives Jesus a Bible verse to back up the temptation. And it was a Bible verse that was, you know, you could say 95% accurate. It was just taken out of context. And that just little bit of deception was the poison pill. So Satan wrapped up a deception, a kernel of deception with a blanket of, of truth and tried to feed it to Jesus. So I think that was how the devil primarily attacked Jesus and how he primarily attacks us through deception. And then the third one was the temptation to, you know, gain the whole world if he just bowed down. Well, that that's easy. That's the world. So I think we see the world, the flesh, and the devil as the primary temptations that Jesus himself faced as our example and as our, you know, the pioneer, the author, the forebearer of our faith. 
But that's not the only time that we see it. One of the most famous parables, the stories that Jesus told, was the story of the sower or the story of the, uh, the soil. And so here's what Luke 8, 5 through 8 says. And this is also recorded in the book of Matthew. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some seed fell on rocky ground. And when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seeds fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. And when it came up, it yielded a crop a hundred times more than what was sown. When he said this, he called out, Whoever has ears, let him hear. So, I've heard a lot of different stories. I've even preached on this. You know, this is what this soil is like. This is what this soil is like. And the importance of the soil in the good, in the good seed. And this was one of the few that was so important that Jesus actually explained it step by step for the disciples. And that explanation is what's fascinating because see if you can spot the unholy trinity, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Let's take, put that up. That is a couple verses later. Luke chapter 8, verses 11 through 15. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil, so there's the devil. He comes and he takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a little while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. What does that mean? We'll come back to that. Then verse 14, the seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries and riches and pleasures, and they do not mature. I think that's a pretty easy description of the world. Life's worries, life's riches, life's pleasures, so you see the devil in the first one, you see the world in the third one. So does it make sense to see the flesh as the second one? And I think it does. Let's go back and read verse 13 again. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. Roots are what gives you strength. They believe for a little while, but when the, in the time of testing, they're not strong enough. They fall away because their hands are not strong enough. I... You know, just, I think that's the flesh. So when we, when we say that we're not just fighting the devil, we're fighting the devil and the world and the flesh, I think we see this in the New Testament. And I think um, if you look in the writings of Paul, Paul took this idea and really, really expanded upon it. I think the book of Ephesians is, among many other things, Paul's handbook on how to flight, fight the devil. And that's Ephesians 1 through 6. If you look at um, Galatians 1 through 6, Paul mentions the word flesh more than any other book. I think that is among many other things, Paul's handbook on how to fight the flesh, the acts of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit, so many other different things. And then I believe 1 Corinthians 1 through 6, that's the part that Paul wrote before he got to the questions that they had submitted to him earlier. He mentions the word world more than any of his other um writing. So I think 1 Corinthians 1 through 6 is his handbook on how to fight the world. I mean, it. I think it's, I think it's there and I think it's just, it's incredible and I can't unsee it. So I think the world of flesh and the devil are definitely in the New Testament and that is the blitzkrieg. That is the overwhelming force and that's why it's so hard for us to live the life because that God wants for us 
because we're not just fighting the devil, we're fighting the devil plus the world plus the flesh. So, let me give you some examples, okay? Let me give you some examples of the world, the flesh, and the devil. So, um, some examples of the devil deceiving. That's our heads, okay? Uh, Give you two examples. First, I think it would be if there's someone that you know that's just brainwashed. You know, you got, everyone's got that one crazy uncle and he just believes crazy stuff that the, you know, the government is hiding Elvis and JFK on Mars, you know, and you just, that one relative or that one neighbor or that one coworker, you just, you can't talk to them because you are so convinced that, um, that they're deceived and they will absolutely not uh, listen to reason and they think that you're deceived and that you're not listening to reason and they're just, they're just, I mean, brainwashed, deceived, like we see this all the time. You know, there's a lot of people who have a very strong critique and I think it's justified about, you know, even the term mainstream media, that there is an agenda that they're trying to push and that it's not necessarily truthful, you know, and that I think makes a big assumption that the non-mainstream media is completely truthful and that they don't have their own agenda, but that's another conversation for another time, I think. Brainwashing is a thing. That's an example of the devil deceiving. And I know a lot of times, especially through the last couple of political cycles, when you know other outside organizations had some agendas and some narratives that they wanted to push, they used social media to do it. So I think Facebook, you know, can be a source of disinformation, faked doctored videos, and you know, and all this sort of stuff. And so I, I think that's some examples of the devil. I'm not saying that Facebook is the devil. I'm streaming on Facebook right now. But I think that could is an idea of how the devil deceives, okay? So let me just take those examples off. Let's look at the flesh. How does the flesh fight? What does it mean that the flesh fights? We get to the devil deceives. What does it mean the flesh fights? Well, here's an example. Addiction is probably the greatest example. If you've ever walked through addiction, or if you've ever you know loved an addict, or you've ever you know walked through something with an addiction uh, with an addict, many times they know they know that they're doing the wrong thing, and they genuinely want to change, but their habits aren't strong enough. Their hands are not strong enough. Their flesh is too too overwhelming, and that's why a lot of times. Um, you know, in my experience of working with uh, folks overcoming addiction, I mean, rehab is great if you go to the right one. And it's so easy to overcome or it's easier to overcome addictions while you're in rehab because everything's easy. Because you're taken care of. You're removed from your problems. There's structure. There's order. There's support groups. There's therapy. There's this. There's that. And that's why it's easy to stay clean or easy to, easier to stay sober when you're in in, in rehab, but then you go back. You go back to your problems and you get out of rehab. And then you have to confront all the consequences that you spent years drinking to try to forget. And that's when people fall apart. I've, I've talked to addicts and say, hey, I got out and I wanted to stay clean and I stayed clean. And I was clean for two years. But then, you know, my husband filed for divorce or I lost my job or my kid did this, you know, or something happened that I, I didn't know how to handle it. It overwhelmed me and I went back to what I knew and what I knew was drinking or what I knew was, you know, abusing prescription pills. So that's the flesh. 
that it's always there and it is an absolute battle. And that's, I'm not saying that Instagram is a, it's not Instagram, so I'm going to put up uh, Twitter. That Twitter can feed the flesh, not in, the, in an addiction way, even though social media can be addicting. Twitter can feed the flesh because if you want to fight, if you just want to get angry, I mean, when, when um, Paul in Galatians chapter 5 talks about the acts or the fruit of the flesh, he talks about anger and rage. In Ephesians chapter 5, right before he talks about spiritual warfare, he says, get rid of all anger and brawling and slander. And when people fight on social media, not just Twitter, but that's obviously what it's kind of known for, well, then that's just that's feeding the flesh. And it's not just fighting people on Twitter. I see a lot of people be very, even Christians, be very self-righteous, that they're the only ones that 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 have an idea of, of what truth is. And if you disagree with them on anything, they're going to tell you why, why they're right and you're wrong. And just the whole posture, it just feeds the flesh. So flesh doesn't just have to be um, addiction, even though that's a great example. It could be pride. It could be overwhelming pride and self-righteousness. That is just as dangerous an act of the flesh as addiction is. It's just, it looks different, but it's coming from the same place. So that's an example of the flesh fighting. Now, let me give you two more. Um, And this is going to be an example of the world wooing. Okay, an example of the world wooing. Like how does the world draw our hearts or try to tempt our hearts away from God? Well, probably the easiest way, and this is what Jesus talked about in the parable of the sower, so, uh, the, of the sower or the soil, is what I was trying to say, so, sower and soil together, is materialism. Materialism. Someone who loves Jesus, but man, you know, they got a lot of responsibilities and they got that second lake house and, you know, God loves them, but God wants them to be happy. They're happier when they have money. And so God wants them to make money because God wants them to be happy. And, you know, it's just a person who loves God, but you're not really sure if they love God or if they love money more. That's an example of the world wooing. Let me give you another one that I just thought of. I mean, because sometimes this happens in churches. Like, and this is just cover your ears if, if you if you get offended by this, but one of the things I always struggled with in um, in churches is the 4th of July service, because I'm proud to be an American, and I love our country, but it just, it was always felt weird to sing songs about our country and worship, and it felt like we're almost, are we worshiping our country, or are we worshiping Jesus? And I mean, we are citizens of another country, that our world is not this home and so, like, there's a very strong debate raging about Christian nationalism. And, you know, you know, is Jesus an American? Is Jesus a card-carrying Republican? You know, you know it's, and we have this idea that, of course, Jesus would look like us and act like us and obviously vote like us. And that's an example of the world coming in. So there's so many different strands of the world wooing. It could be something where it's just monetary. Monetary. It could be something that it's just... Uh, materialistic. It's just money or political. There's so many different things. Um, And Instagram doesn't help that at all because the Instagram, it seems like it's just designed to show you all the things in life that you could have, all the things of this world that you could have if you were just a little bit better or if you're just a little bit, 
you know, luckier or whatever it is. And so I think if we look around, we can see that we're, we really are, all of us, you, me, us, we are attacked by the devil and the flesh and the world. The devil deceives, the flesh fights, and the world woos. Okay, so let see if I can connect the dots with all this. The opening question was, if we, if we know something is wrong, why do we end up doing it anyways? Well, many times it's because we have to fight the world, the flesh, and the devil, and that's really, really difficult. So here's what that looks like. If we know something is wrong, why do we do it anyways? Let me put that in the context of the world, the flesh, and the devil. If we know something is wrong, well, the devil's going to try to tell you that it might be true, or that it's true enough, or that there's possibly some, something good in there for you. So if you know something is wrong, or you suspect something, something if you suspect that something might not be true, the devil's going to try to convince you that it is true. The world is going to tell you that others that you trust say that it's true. That others that you trust say that it's true. So it must be true. You know, what's something that you believed as a kid that you no longer believe? Well, the reason you believed it, whether it was a fairy tale or, you know, this or that, was because your parents told you or your grandparents told you or your teacher told you. And we just... We have this bias to just trust authority. And that can cut both ways because, I mean, if we don't trust anyone, well, then we're going to definitely fall under deception. But if we trust the wrong person, then we could still fall under deception. And sometimes that authority is deceptive. So it's really hard to fight a, a, a negative or deceptive, sorry, not negative, but deceptive idea if the devil is trying to convince you that it might be true or true enough for you to believe. And it's really, really hard if others are doing it as well. Others that you trust say that it's true because, you know, a million people can't be wrong, can they? Or, and then you've got the flesh, that there's a part of you that wants it to be true, that you like the feeling when you're angry. You like the feeling when you just let off some steam or, you know, obviously, I mean, if you're an addict, you love that chemical release inside of you you know, the dopamine hit whenever you, the, the drugs hit your system, whatever that is. I mean, there's part of you that wants to do it. So why is it so hard for us to do the right thing? Why is it so easy for us to do the wrong thing? It's because the devil's telling us that it's not wrong. And others around us, the world is telling us that it's not wrong. And our flesh, we're not just fighting those on the outside, we're fighting ourselves on the inside. Our flesh is telling us that it's not wrong. It's really, really hard. The devil deceives, the flesh fights, the world woos. I know, this is it's kind of a downer, but I just the Bible is incredibly painfully honest about what we're up against. And I think we need to know. We need to know. I didn't know this growing up. Would it have made a difference? I don't know, but I sure wish I would have known it. So, that's what we should know. Why should you care? Okay. So we're not just fighting the devil we're fighting the devil and the world and the flesh so well the reason we should care this should be easy i mean i think we could if we just had time we were all in a room and we just you know just went around in a circle and say hey what are some examples where you've struggled against the world the flesh and the devil if we were brutally honest we would we would all say yeah <laughs> i've got examples in my own life i don't have to look at anyone else's life 
So the reason we should care is because that attack, the Blitzkrieg, is working in a devastating way. But I don't want to just leave it on a down note. It doesn't have to be that way. It does not have to be that way. The devil's attacks against us are working, but it doesn't have to be that way. The whole point of this series, the reason I wanted to just get this out there, and whether it helps one person or a million, and it's going to be a lot closer to one than a million, but that it makes a difference. It makes a difference. If it can help one person, then it's helped, you know, a valuable eternal soul. So if you're being encouraged by this, even if you just know more than you knew, I want you to know that it doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to live in defeat. And I'm not just trying to give you that pipe dream of like, you know, live your best life now. Just pay me four easy payments of $19.95. I'm not trying to sell you anything. I'm trying to give you my understanding of what I believe Scripture teaches, a book that I've studied for, you know, two decades plus now in a professional role. And I, I think there's a lot of evidence behind this. I'm convinced, and I want to see if I convince you can, can convince you the way that I've been convinced. So let me put it this way. You can do it. That's the good news. The bad news is you can't do it alone. You cannot do it alone. The easiest thing is to just listen to this on your way to work or just watch this when you're laying in bed. You know, and, and the easiest way is if I told you, I could lie and tell you, hey, here's two simple things you can do on your own without any consequences, without any hard work, and you could totally fix your life. Well, I mean, if I wanted to, I could try to sell that and someone would probably buy that. It just wouldn't be the truth. You can do it. You can overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. But you cannot do it alone. So one of my great convictions, and this is not a conviction for you, this is a conviction for me, because of where I am in my life and my, my job, I'm constantly traveling. Like, I'm not at home right now. I'm... I'm very close to the hurricane that just came through Florida and Georgia because we got some work done there. We're trying to help some communities, uh, you know, um, build, rebuild afterwards. And so that's where I am right now. That's why I love Facebook and YouTube because I can still share what God is doing. But it's hard for me to build community when I'm not in one place in a long time. But I've also been in one place for a long time, and it's still hard to build a community. It's just hard. It's hard to build community, but I need it. You need it. So one of the, the main passions is, is that and convictions that you need a Jesus family. I need a Jesus family. Those words, those two words, a Jesus family, are incredibly intentional. Meaning you may have a family. You may have a biological family. You may have a friend group. You may have coworkers that they are closer than family. Some of you, your family's passed on. Some of you, you don't get along with your family. Some of you, your family's broken. Some of you, your family just lives in a different state. So you may have some people that you love and that you know that you love them, that they love you and you love them, and that they're a tight social circle and circle and, and tight network, and that's great. But it can't just be a family. It needs to be a Jesus family. You need people that are committed to following Jesus as well as being committed to you. You need people who can pour into your life, people who can say, hey, I, I'm, I'm concerned not just about your work product or your friendship, but I'm concerned about your spiritual health. I'm concerned about your spiritual well-being. Like, I want to pray for you. Like, you, you need a group of people who are dedicated not just to you, but to following Jesus alongside you. So you need a family 
You need a Jesus family, not just a family. And that may be a church. And if that's a church, that's great. But just because you're in a church doesn't necessarily mean you're in a Jesus family. You may be in the same room. You may attend services with people who also love Jesus. But if you don't know them, if you're not open with them, if, if you know, they're just congregants, you don't even know their names, let alone their kids' names. If you don't have dinner at their houses, they don't have dinner at your house. Like you, If you've never had like a really deep discussion, then you can follow Jesus alongside them, but they're not family. You need a Jesus family. You need both. You need a, a, a small group of people, whether that is inside of a church building or outside of the church building. The building itself is irrelevant. The actual, what I believe, the original New Testament church is a Jesus family. It is a close-knit group of people, family, following Jesus together. So how do you know you're in a Jesus family? A great test would be the world, the flesh, and the devil. Do you have people that you are close enough with, that you're involved enough with in their lives, that A, you know you have a sense in your spirit whether they are under the influence of the world, the flesh, or the devil, and you have enough trust and transparency to be able to actually say, hey, can we talk? Like, I, I think there's some worldliness that I'm, it's really concerning me, or I think there's some ideas that you may be falling under that I don't know if those are really true. Like, there may be some deception. Like, do you know enough people? Sorry, do you know people well enough and, and do you have that trust built that you can actually speak into them? Because sometimes people can't see their own deception. They need loving people to speak into them. And who in your life have you given permission? If someone comes up to you right now and says, hey, I, if I can just be honest, I think some of the stuff that you're just sharing online is just way out of, way out of, it, it's out of character. You're angry, or I think you're ret you're retweeting or you're reposting some stuff that I don't think is true. Like I think you're way too into the conspiracy stuff, and I think it's I think you've gone to a dark place, or I think you've really gotten wrapped up in materialism. Do you have people that, if they were honest with you, you would say, you know what, that that's not what I wanted to hear, but because of who you are, my respect for you, I'm, I'm going to take that into consideration. Like I'm really going to give it some thought. If you have those people that can pour into you and that you feel like you have the permission to pour into, then you have a Jesus family. It has nothing to do with the building. It can happen in a building, but it has nothing to do with the building. And that's my prayer for me, for my family, for you, for your family, that we create a group of Jesus families that can follow Jesus together as a family. So you can do this. You can overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil, but you cannot do it alone. I can go to the Greek and show you, but just take my word for it. All the commands in Ephesians chapter 6 to stand, to put on the full armor of God, to take up the shield of faith, to take up the helmet of salvation, to put on the, the you know, helmet of salvation, to take up the sword of the Spirit, to pray in the Spirit on all occasions. All of those commands on how to fight back, they're in the plural. It's what Paul told the church to do together collectively. We have to fight against our American individualism if we're going to successfully fight back against the devil and the world in the flesh. I need you and you need me. And this live stream, this podcast isn't sufficient. It's a step, 
but it's not sufficient because we're not doing community right now. It's, this is a one-way conversation. So you need a group of people. You need a Jesus family. I need a Jesus family. So we should care. We should care because the devil's attacks against us are working, but it doesn't have to be that way. And that's what I hope that Jesus family is. Okay? So let's. Uh, we're rounding third. We're coming home. How should we live? Okay, what should we know? Why should we care? How should we live? And it's this statement. The devil doesn't fight fair. He doesn't. He uses the one, two, three punch of the world, the flesh, and the devil to try to blitzkrieg us, to overwhelm us. The devil does not fight fair. So, neither should we. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, the devil doesn't just use his own power. He uses the world and the flesh to try to overwhelm us. So, if we try to fight back against the devil under our own power, we will lose every time. We don't have to fight on our own. We're not designed as Christians to fight on our own. The whole point of this study is to show how we can fight back in and through the Spirit. So the devil doesn't fight fair, so neither should we. So how can we fight back in a way that's not fair to the devil if we fight back with the Spirit? Now, I've shared this if you follow me on um, any of my socials. I've asked this question n- numerous times about the Holy Spirit, and it's, it's something that I'm trying to learn and I want to try to teach in, in what I feel like is an honest, open, and biblical way. I wasn't taught much about the Holy Spirit, you know, I was kind of almost taught to be afraid of the Holy Spirit, that we didn't need the Holy Spirit um, because we had the Bible or at least someone's interpretation of the Bible. And I wasn't taught how to live in the Spirit. And then, you know, but I see the Spirit all over the place. Like when, we, when we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to be talking about the Spirit. So when Paul says, take up the, the Word of God, he says he calls it the sword of the Spirit. Then how he finishes that entire passage is to pray in the Spirit. So I've been taught how to pray. But Paul says if you want to fight back against the devil, you've got to learn how to pray in the Spirit. What does that mean? If we're going to fight back, and if we're going to fight back in a way that is not fair to the devil, we need to fight back in the Spirit. You go back to Luke chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus um, fights the devil in the wilderness. The Spirit is all over. The Spirit is who led Jesus into the wilderness. And Luke 4 at the end says that Jesus came out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. Like the Spirit is all over the place. So we need, we need the Spirit. And we need to practice the Spirit in a biblical way. There are a lot of examples of people having some crazy ideas and assigning that to the Spirit and I would, and my thought is like, no, I don't think that's the spirit. I think that's just you doing what you want and then trying to pawn that off on God by claiming it's the spirit. So we need the spirit. The devil doesn't fight fair. If you try to fight fair under your own power, you're going to lose. So don't fight fair. The, re, the, the, the way you do not fight fair is by the power of the spirit. It's that same spirit that rose Jesus, raised Jesus from the dead. That same spirit now lives in you. It's that same spirit, the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of the Father that created the world, 
the spirit that empowered Jesus to conquer sin and death and hell in the grave, that spirit lives inside of us. That spirit has already is defeating and will continue to defeat the devil. So at the end of the day, the short answer is if we want to fight back against the devil and win, we need to learn how to fight in the spirit. And that's what Paul, I believe, teaches with the armor of God, specifically when it comes to the lies of the enemy. So let's put that big idea back up one more time. The devil deceives, the flesh fights, and the world woos. That's I, This episode is just a recap of the podcast I did earlier this year on the unholy trinity. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Try to give you just a primer on what that is. If that fascinates you, you can go back and listen to that podcast. The reason we should care about the world, the flesh, and the devil is because it's working. It's working against us, but it doesn't have to be that way. And I want, I want us to leave on a, on a positive note. So, and it's this. The devil doesn't fight fair, so neither, neither should we. So at this point, I know, I know you want to get straight into uh, Ephesians 6. I want to get into Ephesians 6. But before we do, we still have to go one step further into a deep place, into a dark place, into an uncomfortable place. And so that's where we're going to go next week. So that's intentionally why I'm calling next week, episode 6, Trigger Warning. Because you may be triggered. You may be triggered. The case I'm going to try to make next week is that the world and the flesh and the devil isn't just a problem out there. I believe that it is a problem that is absolutely, absolutely metastasized, cancerously metastasized inside the church. And so, if you don't want to hear anything negative about the church, if it's like, hey man, people are down on the church, don't just just pretend like nothing's wrong with the church, then skip episode 6, come back in episode 7, and we'll be fine. I won't, I won't take it personally. If you've had a bad experience in church, and anytime anyone brings up church that really, really triggers you, well then just, this is your warning, like we're going to talk about that. It's not from a place of trying to burn the whole thing down. It's a place of trying to help lead the church forward an an, in, in an ancient way. Like I, I believe there's an ancient solution to this, and it's what we see in Acts 2.42. But before we can get to the solution, I think we need to be honest about the problem. So that's where we're going to go next week. And if you've got this sense, if you have this sense in your spirit of, man, the church is just not doing well, and all the theories that people have about us because of this or because of that, because of this, because, well, I, let me give you a theory because I spent 20 years trying to chase down all those theories and none of them really stuck. They didn't go deep enough. And I think the world of flesh and the devil actually explains almost at the deepest level why the church is struggling and, and more importantly, how the church can overcome it and come back. So in the end, I want it to be a, I want this series to be a message of hope for you. And if you're still involved in a church, for your church, of how your church can overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. So we're going to talk about how the world, the flesh, and the devil is not just something that happens outside, but 
really how it has affected the church on the inside. And for some of you, it'll just explain, oh, that's why. That, that's why I've got so many friends that will never step back into the church. It's because their negative reactions to the world, the flesh, and the devil manifesting itself inside. So that's where we're going to go next. But again, these are some heavy topics. I get it. But if you're still with me at this point, then I believe you have a heart. You have a heart to see God do something in you, to see God do something in your family, to see God do something in your church. And I believe that that the truths of Ephesians 6 can lead us there if we are willing to count the cost and go where Paul goes and deal with what Paul deals with and do what Paul asks the early church to do in Ephesians chapter 6. You don't have to do it alone. I'm going to be with you through YouTube or Facebook or a podcast every step of the way. That's it. Thanks so much for watching or listening, and we will see you next week for episode six.